Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example, and this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. We're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five, Beavis? (laughs) Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers. Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey everybody, welcome. It is the session. Here we are. We're going to be talking some craft beer with Nick Corona from Five Suits Brewing in Vista, California. But before I get to that, I want to remind everybody that this show is, of course, brought to you each and every single time by our friends over at More Beer. You go to morebeer.com and get absolutely everything you need to make great beer at home like I did. I got the Brewzilla. And uh, look, I don't homebrew often, but when I do, it's a beer, a Brewzilla beer kit, Brewzilla brewing experience from uh, from our, our handsome people over at More Beer. So go ahead and check them out, please. If you need your equipment, if you need your ingredients, they are shipping. Um, I guess that's you know maybe more relevant six months ago because probably everyone's shipping now. But uh, they're doing great. They get me my stuff in record time. Everything always tastes great. And actually, I need to go there. Oh, God, I probably won't can't get out there for like two weeks, but I got to go out there and pick up some grain. So I'm excited to do that as well. So check them out, morebeer.com. Nick Corona, welcome to the session, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You force us into a into a rare Wednesday show, but I don't mind. I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it, actually, we did that. No, that's that, thinking about that. We had to reschedule you. So that's our fault. So yeah, thank down. you. Yeah, thank you for, uh, for uh, I don't know, being accommodating. Man, I appreciate it. I was happy. I was happy about it. I had told uh, Bev already that uh, I was going to be missing my Monday night cornhole league for the show. Okay. So I was able to get my Monday night cornhole league in, which was great. All right. How'd you do, man? Did you have fun? Because that's what matters the most. 
I had fun. Yeah, I'm the worst <laughs> player here, so um, I definitely yeah. need that. I did have fun. Okay. Well, there you go, man. There you go. Five Suits Brewing, and you are in Vista, California. That sounds very Central Valley to me. Where is Vista, California? Vista, California is actually uh, North County, San Diego. Mm. So uh, just okay. probably about 15, 20 minutes uh, east from the beaches. Uh, Carlsbad, Oceanside area are the... Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, okay. so... Um, not too bad. It's got a bunch of breweries here. We were actually just voted uh, best beer community for San Diego Beer News uh, this past year. Oh wow! Just the Vista, the, the city of Vista. City of Vista. Yeah, wow. there's just a great, great uh, conglomerate of small independent breweries all hunched in this uh, industrial park area and a lot of business parks. So uh, yeah, the the, uh, the the readers of San Diego Beer News all voted us uh, number one. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's so many uh, breweries out that way, especially breweries that are making that are making people happy? You know, it, it doesn't sound like there's a bad one in the bunch, or else you wouldn't have been voted like that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good breweries here. Uh, it's a combination of a number of things. Um, anyone who's started to started a brewery knows that. Uh, when you start to look at different areas, uh, you look at different locales, you start to recognize immediately that some cities are uh, very welcoming mm-hmm. to breweries and uh, the uh, amenities that they accommodate them. So uh, the city of Vista is one of those. It's the uh, top of the list. Uh, not just to mention that they also have uh, quite a few of the industrial parks where you can get you can uh, rent out some spaces that are that are, uh, I guess, accommodating for breweries. But they also allow things like live music, uh, all kinds of different stipulations that some cities are a little bit tighter on. Okay, so it sounds like. It's easier to d- get stuff done out there. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It Good, definitely man. is, and they're uh, they're welcoming with open arms a lot of the a lot of the people in the city and the economic development. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, kudos to the city board and and, and all those people you know trailblazing ahead of you uh, to to get uh, Vista with it, man. Like you said, there's a lot of places that don't do that. That you have to, as a brewery owner, you have to struggle and and beat on doors just to get simple stuff done, just to get open. Yeah, yeah, and we experienced a lot of that. It took us quite a while to open up, and uh, that was a big part of our a big part of our uh, struggles initially. Mm. And uh, thankfully, everything kind of came together just right before COVID hit. God, so it's beautiful. Just, this is funny, man. I mean, it's not funny, but it's slightly humorous that out of the all the interviews I've done this year, you're probably like the fourth, maybe fifth new brewery that open within a couple of months of COVID. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, wow. On the one hand, it speaks volumes of the, 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 the growth in craft beer in the United States. And then also it's just a testament to how many small businesses have been impacted, but are still here based on the community that you guys are in and, and the support from everybody. Because let's face it, if people weren't going to buy your beer, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. And thankfully we had uh, quite a bit of support come from our homebrew community um, that, that meets here locally and down in San Diego. A lot of them, uh, they were, they were all on board with supporting us no matter what it took, even if it come, means just, you know, making a drive out to take some packaged beer to go. 
uh, we definitely did receive that support. And yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a, an interesting story for us to, to open up during that time frame. But I'm sure <laughs> many of those other people can attest is yeah. once you start this process, it's not something that you can just all of a sudden pull the ripcord on and, uh, stop immediately and hold off on. So we yeah. were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. You're not like buying a car, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, where it's just one moving part and that's it, right? You got your equipment, you got your insurance, you got your floor drains, you got your you know draft system, you got your employees, you got your license, you got all this kind of stuff where if you decided not to do it, you're probably out hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know. We can get into that a little bit, but uh, yeah, for sure. You're sort of full steam ahead. Either, you know, fuck it. Either it works or it doesn't, or we're broke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was, uh, there was one point, one night where I had decided that we were not going to move forward. Uh, and thankfully that was only one night that I thought that we were going to have to pull that rip cord and stop everything. But, uh, that was definitely a part of that thought process is, okay, well, how much are we going to lose? What happened? How much are we willing to lose? What happened on that night? What, what got you to that point? Uh, I think it was just the writing on the wall, everything yeah. with COVID. Uh, we had yet to sign the sign and finalize the sale because we purchased an existing brewery here in town. Okay. And we had to finalize the sale, even though we had already completed letters of intent. I had put my word down on the purchase, uh, but uh, it was just we hadn't signed officially. And if it was a, if the decision was going to be made, then it needed to be made relatively quickly before we uh, went through with it. But yeah, it just lasted one night, woke up the next morning, just decided I had already put my word out there and I couldn't go back on it. Nice. Yeah, I think everybody has that. No, and no matter what venture they're doing, if it's, you know, a, a lot of money like a brewery or, you know, even just a, a career change or whatever, you have to have that moment of like, potential buyer's remorse, you know, to, to ground yourself a little bit, but, uh, I'm glad you came through it, man. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background in brewing. Uh, once again, we have another home brewer who has no, who didn't intern or work at a brewery beforehand. Uh, and and I'm, I'm that always like, it just, it infinitely fascinates me, uh, how you guys can do something like that. I could never, do that. I think I would work at a brewery for a hundred years before I tried to open my own. So, uh, how did you get into homebrewing? First of all, and then we'll transition into what made you think you could do this without, you know, experience. Yeah, certainly. Um, what made yeah. you think that you could do this? God, I sound right. like an asshole. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because that's the blatant truth. I mean, it, it took it took it took a lot. It took a lot for me personally. Um, I can tell you that my wife was pushing me through it the whole time. She was ready after I won my first fourth place ribbon at the San Diego Fair to go for it. But, um, yeah, so when it came to brewing and why I got into it, uh, I was never really a craft beer fan, to be honest with you. Um, I just thought that craft beer, the only ones I had tried really – that I assumed was craft beer was Heineken or Killian's Irish red. Oh, and Killian's Irish red. Yes, dude. Right. Take me back to the late nineties, brother. Let's go. And as experimental as I may have gotten might've been like a Sam Adams, like variety pack at some point where Whoa. they had some type of raspberry beer that to me at the time was very off putting. Raspberry wheat before. probably yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And I had never really had a chance to experience craft beer from a, I guess, a, a loving and 
of an appreciative standpoint. Mm-hmm. In 2012, I was at uh, Churchill's. I went to Churchill's Brewing, or not Churchill's Brewing, Church- Churchill's Bar, and it's a place right here in San Marcos, and it's a pretty pretty popular, uh, well-known craft beer bar. Uh, and I just happened to be there one night, and I had a beer because the name sounded cool, and it was called Maharaja. And it was okay. Avery Brewing's Maharaja. And I just remember looking at it on the board thinking, ah, it sounds cool. It's got a cool picture of some dude up there, and I'll go ahead and I'll order it. So when it came to me, uh, I didn't pay attention to ABV at all. But when I took my first sip, it was this transcendent experience for mm-hmm. me. And I just remember thinking that whatever I'm tasting just changed my perspective completely on beer. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the bitterness, it was the hops that I had never really experienced and this really clean flavor that it produced. And I just kept drinking one sip after another after another, and I was just blown away that all of a sudden beer changed for me. And I had a bunch of them. Um, I went home uh, (laughs) that night, woke up a little hungover because they were 10% beers. uh, But the very same day... I ordered a homebrew kit and I started researching uh, opening a brewery. And it's so funny because at that point I was so naive to everything that was going to be necessary, but that was literally how I started. I wanted to learn how to make beer. I wanted to give somebody that same experience that I had that completely changed my mind about beer as a whole. So that's what started everything, and I just uh, moved forward from there. Made a lot of crappy beer for a year, joined the local home brew club, and really started to improve, joined competitions pretty heavily, and uh, mm-hmm. continued trying to get as adept at multiple different styles as I could and brewing them and, and getting familiar with the process. That's interesting that you that you ordered your, your home brew kit, and then before you brewed anything, you were researching how to open a brewery. Is that just from like a... I don't know. I want to say customer service standpoint, but that's not really what I mean because you said you want to give the experience that you had to other people. Is that just kind of the guy that you are, that you want people to have a good experience and and you want to figure out how to connect with people like that? This was more on the side of creating something out of nothing, creating a recipe, creating a, creating a, a, creating some, a, I guess the closest I could relate to it would be a chef. You know, if you're, if you're making a great dish and you blow someone away with your carne asada burritos, then, you know, that's your staple. But this beer to me was such an amazing experience that I just thought to myself, man, I'd love to give someone that same experience that I had to where they could completely change their mind on beer as a whole. So um, that was kind of, that was kind of what that was. As far as opening a brewery was concerned, uh, that was definitely the goal, but I just needed to know more about what it takes to open a brewery, what equipment there is. I didn't know a yeah. fermenter from uh, from a keg. I mean, I didn't know anything. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was definitely something that I started to move forward on pretty heavily. Awesome. What was your first homebrew kit? What was your first recipe you made? My first recipe was actually Maharaja. So I ordered mm. from a, a place that I'm not going to mention right now because I wish I would have known about more beer at the time. <laughs> okay. I mean, you can, if you want, it doesn't matter. Hell no. I'm not giving them any airtime. Okay. So, All right. Um, All right. I, I, I do love more beer. And if I would have known about more beer at the time, I would definitely would have ordered from there, but I ordered a Maharaja uh, clone kit and it came and I was like, this is easy. 
I mean, they've got a kit for this beer. Like, why, why am I wasting my time with anything? And yeah. obviously it wasn't easy. So it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. what you have by way of uh, clone kits. But that was the naive side of it was I was just like, oh, look at this. I can find recipes online and they're clones. So sure. I can just make whatever. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, uh, you know, your first, your first foray into home brewing is a 10% IPA. <laughs> literally, if you go into a homebrew shop, literally everyone would steer you away. Like, let's make, let's calm down. Let's make a pale ale first. Let's yep. Or a stout or a porter, something. How, how did the beer turn out? Uh, that beer I convinced myself was great. Okay. Uh, but it was horrible. Yeah, of course it was, dude. It was horrible. But yeah. I tell you what, one of the bottles that hung out for a long time because it was such a horrible beer, I used to cook a turkey on Thanksgiving and it came out great. Okay. So it was a better ingredient than it was <laughs> a consumed thing as a whole. That's right. Okay. Exactly. I got you, man. I got you. So you're cruising through home brewing, uh, you know, looking through my notes. It seems like you won a lot of awards. For your home bring and, and, and stuff that's hard to do. It's not just like, oh, I got a blue ribbon at the fair once. And then now I'm, oh, now I'm, now I'm a brewer. Yeah. Those were the things that really continued to push me to get to where I am right now and hopefully continue growing uh, with the brewery. But uh, I recognized quickly that I wasn't going to get honest opinion from any of my friends or family. Uh, that's what I really needed. Yeah. So after I joined the home brew club and, you know, people who were thankfully honest with me and they were BJCP judges, they would make little comments, um, about my beer that I would pick up on like, Oh, were you rushing this or you Ooh, know, they, that's a good one. Exactly. I got to remember that for the Dr. Homebrew shows, man. It was a very kind thing to say, but, yeah. um, those were the things that started to make me realize that just because my friends told me and got me all excited about my beer being good, when I bring it to people who are going to be honest with me, then uh, it's it, that's actually the best room for growth. So I got involved in competitions because I could submit my beers and get feedback anonymously from people who aren't afraid to hurt your feelings. So yeah, I started entering competitions and I won a couple ribbons here and there and then... Um, in 2015, that's when I really started to show up with some of my wins and some of the um, some of the bigger local competitions, and I really started to get excited with where I could go with it. Um, I Keith Cost actually uh, was I, I, he was on the Dr. Homebrew show yeah. there, and he came and I met him in 2015 at NHC in San Diego, and I recognized his name because he was always winning all, all these ribbons in, in California. He had recently moved there. And so we hung out and we talked for quite some bit and he really inspired me to continue moving forward with competitions and uh, trying to get better and better because I wanted to beat him. Oh, um, nice. So yeah. yeah, that was a big inspiration for that's me. And it cool, just man. blossom there. And in 2016, that's when I really blew up. I won the gold at uh, NHC and then took home brewer of the year as well. And then um, 2017, I won Cal State Sierra Nevada home brewer of the year. Uh, which I took from Keith. He took he took it like I think two or three years in a row. He, he's he's a crazy good brewer, and yeah. then um, San Diego Brewer of the Year. But all those Take things coupled together, those are the things that really started to make me feel more confident about the process that I had down and the um, just just beer brewing as a whole. That that kind of kind of got me more stable on my feet, understanding and feeling like uh, I could bring something new to the table and I could bring something of quality. Yeah. That's cool, man. And, you know, the Keith story, that's sort of what I like about the homebrewing community is, is because it doesn't really matter. 
right? If this was like F1 racing or fuck, I don't know, um, you know, soccer or baseball or hockey or whatever, nobody, you wouldn't be telling, like coaches wouldn't get together and tell each other secrets. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Homebrew, because there's no money behind it, you don't, I mean, you win a fucking trophy and people go, hey, you're the dude for like four seconds. And then the next issue is Zymergy comes out and then it's all over. Um, exactly. There's, there's, there's nothing but just the, the self gratification of, of doing the thing. And so we all sort of want each other to feel as good as we do when we win. And I say we loosely because I don't win. Um, but it, but it sounds like, and that's the way Keith sort of is too, man. And he's just, you know, he contributed a lot of his time to Dr. Homebrew and, uh, we actually had him on the other night for uh, our eighth anniversary show. And, oh, nice. um, yeah. And, uh, he didn't send us any beer, so, you know, fuck him. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. Anyway, homebrewing is weird, man. It's weird that way. As you can just, you definitely share stuff because I can tell you my secrets. You can tell me, but it doesn't mean I can replicate them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what got me into it. That honestly, that's what got me fully immersed in the community as a whole was uh, the people that I started meet and interact with. Uh, they were completely open, and here I am, instantly experiencing this—not just the community, but the industry as a whole. I'm experiencing these people in this industry that, to me, it was foreign. Mm. It was foreign to me to think that I can walk into a business and. I walked into Mother Earth and Dan was the owner and he was working the cash register at the time. And I had this recipe for an IPA that I was trying to, to fill a grain bill for. And I'm bouncing around and he asked me what the recipe is. And I mentioned to him, it's an IPA recipe. I just keep looking for a good IPA recipe and I can't find one. It was probably more me than in the <laughs> recipe. <laughs> no. What does he say to me? He goes, well, I've got the recipe for Buku if you ever want it. And Buku was one of their great IPAs. And it's like, your point is 100% on. You can give the recipe out, and it's not going to be the same. Ten people could brew it. It's going to be ten different beers. But the openness and the sharing of information, it continued to flow every single person that I met. I had people in Quaff who were professional brewers, people in Quaff who were uh, these great judges, and not one second did they stop and think twice about sharing any information that they could to make sure that I was improving everything or anything that I was trying to do. Yeah, exactly. And I like that about the the community. I like that about the craft beer community as well because they do that. And, you know, early in early days on the BN, we had a lot of people who you no, I'm not going to tell you this is my secret. And the secret turned out to be like corn sugar. <laughs> and that's why, like, you know, Vinny gets so much respect, I think, in the beer industry, not because he makes great beer, because he does, and not because, I think, not because he makes transformative beer, because he definitely does that with Pliny and Blind Pig and uh, even his pills. I mean, sour beers, of course, like a whole thing. Name a style. He's probably done it really, really well. But it's yeah. because he came on this stupid show and just sort of opened the books and was like, this is how you, this is how I did it. This is how I dry my beer out. This is how I do this. You guys can do this too. Handed out his recipe for Pliny to everybody. More beer sells a kid of it. And yeah. just doesn't care because if if you're making better beer, Nick, as a person, then I'm making better beer because I can taste your beer and I can talk to you about it. And you go, oh, well, Vinny told me this. So he's already in, influenced two people's beer. It just kind of goes on and on and on. It's a weird game of telephone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, I like it. that's 
that's the responsibility that anyone listening needs to continue pushing forward because yeah. uh, what I have found recently is uh, there are very few people who try to keep things uh, tight to themselves or stay tight-lipped about it, and uh, they just don't last very long in the community. They, they yeah. find themselves kind of uh, off on their own little island just because they don't really embrace that team spirit, and it's great to have it. I've, I've, I've benefited from it immensely. That's nice. So, okay, so did you have any sort of, like, commercial immersion, I guess, or you went from home brewer to, hey, let's go buy a brewery? So I was fortunate in that some of the beers that I had submitted for a number of competitions had won uh, pro-am uh, abilities. Um, obviously, I'm going in there to take pictures I'm going in there to smile and hold a beer or pour a beer from a tap. But uh, I had won enough of them that I did get some decent experience in getting on a brew system. And I just, I, I tried to soak myself into those, uh, those pro-am opportunities the best I could. I tried to ask as many questions as I could. And uh, honestly, if I ever come across something here that I don't, that I didn't know when I had first gotten started up, um, the, the community had done the same thing. I mean, I still had people that were in Quaff that are pro brewers now, people that work in the industry that, I mean, I had the owner's son of Belching Beaver come over and their head brewer uh, for their pub 980 come over and like just come in and take a look at my, uh, my crush on my grain mill because I was, I had sent a picture and they noticed something was kind of off with it. So it's like this type of help is so valuable. And the, even if you don't work in the industry, uh, as long as you have that friendly spirit and that, uh, that I guess ability to just reach out to people, yeah. then, um, there, everyone's willing to help. And there were a number of times where I was walked through some processes that I, that I didn't know just mainly on the equipment. Wow. That's great. That's really yeah. cool. I, so, I was fairly surprised, fairly surprised to learn that uh, most of the stuff that you're learning with home brewing, it translates to exactly what you're doing here. So um, I know I had heard a couple of the people telling me that it's the same thing with the exception of the volumes. But uh, yeah, if, if you're making good beer in your garage and you decide you want to jump it up, uh, it's going to take definitely more of a learning curve when you go to jump it up, but it's the same processes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's the same thing, but there's like different tweaks on it. Again, I don't know why I'm like thinking of cars, but it's like a VW Bug to like a, you know, Porsche. Absolutely. Or it's Absolutely. like, it's the same thing. Car go forward, car go back. <laughs> Hit the gas. <laughs> yeah, but not really at the right speed, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so you felt confident enough in the industry, you felt confident enough in whatever sort of breweries you've been to that you, you thought, Hey, I could open a brewery now. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't need to go and, and, and clean kegs for six months at, you know, pizza port or whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to say that there's not value to that because sure. uh, yeah, right. got the time and the ability to do it, then by all means do it. I had a full-time job. I still work at the casino now. So I'm a casino manager during the day and I come and I work uh, at the brewery at, at night when I get off or, oh, on my days off, but I didn't have the ability to go and to, to, to work in the industry for, for a period of time. So if you do have that ability, then it's going to be very important. There are a lot of aspects to the, to the industry that, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't really 
get a feel for unless you're actually put into those positions. There's so many when it comes to sales, when it comes to uh, packaging. I mean, just all kinds of things that uh, you, you would definitely benefit from working in it further. I did attend the San Diego State um, Business of Craft Beer um, the, they, they've got a program at San Diego State. So I did do that as well. I was able to get that accomplished at night. So that helped me as well because I was able to tap into a number of the uh, professionals that came and did seminars and, and um, series there. Okay, that's cool, man. Casino manager. Are you like like the guy who goes and like catches people cheating and like beats the shit out of them? Or what is that? <laughs> that's, that's a little old school Vegas, but uh, I, I actually started in Vegas. Uh, so that okay. was where I where I got my experience in casino management. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm just putting out fires as they pop up, you know, something will happen maybe. And, uh, I'll get the call and go and smile and figure out how to make someone happy. People get just pissy. Like I ordered a whiskey sour four minutes ago and this fucking person can't, this is all sour. It's not whiskey. Yeah, normally it's uh, it's amazing, but normally that ties into maybe the amount of money that they've lost as well. So uh. yeah, it's uh, it's easy it's easy to get upset at things like that when you've lost a little bit of money. So you're the comp guy. <laughs> comp is in my uh, Batman tool belt. Yes, okay. that's in. <laughs> What's the wildest thing that's ever happened at that casino, man? I want to know what casino God. is it. First of all, if you can tell me, if you can't, that's fine. Yeah, no, it's Valley View Casino. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I, the, the craziest thing that's happened at the casino, I would say, I'm, I'm going to say that, well, this didn't happen at Valley View Casino. This happened okay. at the casino I worked at before, but we had a gentleman who, uh, had an accident and he was an elderly gentleman. Okay. And when I say he had an accident, um, he did something in your pants that you would normally pull them down for. Okay. Uh, and we were so accommodating. We took care of him. We got him a new pair of pants, got him, helped him get cleaned up. And he was all good that I think we may have gone a little overboard with it because uh, he wanted us to pay for his socks that also got soiled. So it was just very interesting to me <laughs> that here you have uh, an embarrassing situation, but we were able to turn it around and make it so not embarrassing that yeah. now... Uh, he was empowered to ask for us to pay for his socks. And did you pay for his socks? That we did not. Okay. Did not. That's we the line. The pants, we felt the pants were sufficient. Uh, we did not pay for the socks. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild, man. I uh, I did not expect that story. I thought for sure it would be someone cheating and you had to break his fingers or something like that. But uh Sorry to let you down. That's all right, man. The poo story, good enough. <laughs> Sometimes those are the same thing. Um, speaking of things that are not poo related, I'm drinking your Hef, which I know is this the worst segue ever, but I tried to make it as good as possible. Um, I started with your Hef, the Pit Boss Hefeweizen, and I really enjoy this a lot. I'm drinking out of a can, so I apologize if that's uh, you know stupid, but uh, it's what I'm doing. Tell Thank me, you. Tell me a little bit about the Hef. Is it a, a homebrew recipe or something you developed here and thing it is a homebrew recipe this was actually the beer that uh let me know that i was on the right path i had um started to brew a hef 
fairly early on, maybe my second or third year of brewing. And this was the first beer that I took home a ribbon with. And I alluded to the fourth place ribbon. Not many mm-hmm. places give fourth place ribbons, but thankfully <laughs> for me and my ego, yep. uh, I was given a fourth place ribbon and it was for the Hefeweizen. Nice. So um, I continued to hold on to that recipe and brew it again and again. And eventually this, this is my most award-winning recipe, uh, repeatedly winning every time I had entered it, uh, with home brew. So this was basically just my go-to. I, I know I'm going to get a, a, a ribbon or a medal with this one. Um, and then it actually had taken, this is the beer that took gold, uh, in 2015 at NHC and then went on to win best of show at NHC in the finals. And then the very next year I, uh, fulfilled a feat that I'm pretty sure has never been done before, but it took uh, best of show at MCAB as well. So mm. both are the only two national uh, homebrew competitions and it's the same beer and the same recipe took, uh, uh, best of show at best both. Best of show on both. Wow. That's great. Yeah. yeah so there's, there's gotta uh, be a way to track that. I wonder, but, uh, that's cool. I've never heard of that either. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a geek when it comes to stats and stuff like that. So I went back and tried to check. I, I didn't find anything in my search, but please, anyone else, you're welcome to search and reach out to me. I'll buy you a beer if I'm wrong. Yep. Uh, that's the great thing. You can just say whatever you want. Just prove me wrong Other than until you can. I'm going to say that this is the way it is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I had brewed it a number of times because this one had also won some pro-ams, and I, I brewed it at Hangar 24. I brewed it at a brewery here called Lightning. Um, but it, it came out good those times, but it never came out exactly the way that I wanted to make it at my – or that I would make it in my garage. So when I took over the brewery here, this was the first – recipe that I was just really, really worried and concerned about being able to replicate because it was, it's one of my favorites. It's actually my wife's favorite. I talked about making that gateway beer that will turn someone into a beer drinker. Yeah. And this was the one that turned my wife into a beer drinker from wine. So, um, she loves the half and, uh, thankfully I was able to replicate it very, very, very close <laughs> now. And uh, it's going like hotcakes. So great, yeah. It's it's a great beer. the 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 depth of flavor in there is awesome. It's almost it's almost saisonny in the way that you like. It, it tastes like there's like grains of paradise, or like it tastes sort of spiced in the way that a saison yeast can off put those esters in there too. But like it's a it's clearly a heft. There's a lot of wheat in there too, and not as much as you would get in a saison. Um, and it's still sweet and grainy and overall, you know, very, very different. But that parallel for me is, is sort of quite, you know, uh, stark, contrasty um, between, the, between the, two, the two styles. And it has a lot, of, a lot of things in the mid palate, a lot of flavors that you don't normally get with a Hef. It's a German style Hef or what, what would you? Bavarian, you know? Bavarian, definitely. Bavarian style, okay, yeah. I, I think you hit it. Um, there is that big clove spice to it that comes yeah. through and the spices is, I think that's what tickles the tongue. And, um, I, I, I enjoy that about this beer and I think that's what my wife likes about it too. But yeah, that was one of the, one of the processes is I used to step mash when I was at home you know, on my homebrew system. Yeah. And so buying a brewery, most breweries don't have the ability to do a step mash, uh, unless you have a, a, a specifically designed brew house for it, which I did not. Uh, but I was able to figure out how to do that and replicate it. So, um, yeah, that 
that's that was a great breakdown on the beer. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a good beer. I I think it's delicious. Good job by that. And you said people are liking it. Yeah, yeah, they really are. We it's 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 great. I my my biggest compliment, and I love hearing it, and it continues to happen, which makes me feel really good. Uh, just a lot of people they 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 want to let me know that they've been to Germany. I've been to Germany, and I've had right. the halves, and and this is one of the greatest halves I've had, and. So I, I just, I relish those types of things because, nice. um, again, I'm a, I feel I'm a relatively young brewer. I've only been brewing since 2012, only professionally now for, you know, a year. So, um, it, it really, it really makes me feel good when people, when people really enjoy what I'm making. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, considering your, your pedigree is mainly home brewing, um, on the commercial scale, it can be daunting and it is hard to, to scale up your home brew recipe to a commercial world. We've heard that for, you know, forever. Um, but it sounds like you do have, you know, sort of a, a, just a general intrinsic knowledge about how things work. Like you're saying, it's the same basic stuff, but if you don't have a good handle on that basic stuff, you're not going to do well in a commercial environment because you just, you're just not, I mean, they are different things inherently. They're just different animals. Yeah. 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 I agree completely with that. And when we first got in here, that one of the things I almost scrapped it, but, um, thank God, I didn't. Um, I, I've always brewed with RO water. And so um, when COVID hit, we were starting to look at cutbacks and installing an RO system and really starting the water treatment uh, was one of those things that I immediately thought to myself, you know what? The brewery here before didn't have it and they were in business. So I almost started scrapping some of those things, but thankfully I didn't. And I just really tried to stick to my homebrew roots and what, what had got me here and try to rep replicate as much as I could. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nick, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to get two more beers. We're going to start talking about the beers more in depth a little bit. Uh, hang on everybody. It's the session. We'll be right back. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. All right, thanks for hanging around, everybody. We are back with Nick Corona from Five Suits Brewing in Vista, California. Nick, I have a beer in front of me that I uh, don't know about. It is a llama on it, and I think the label art is rad, but how do you pronounce the name? Altoke. Altoke Altoke Peruvian Lager. Altoke Peruvian Lager. I would not have have gone toke... um, but that llama artwork is rad. It's like a rainbow psychedelic. Um, I imagine like this is like a picture of like what a bug sees, like in different color spectrums and shit like that. It's really cool. Um, why is it Peruvian? So uh, we, as everyone probably knows, because I shared it, were uh, opened during COVID. So one of the California mandates stated that we needed food in order to even operate as a brewery. Yeah. We would need to operate as a restaurant. So the first thing we needed to figure out was a a food vendor. And since we were brand new, we didn't have any existing relationships with any food trucks. My wife had happened to work, thankfully, with um, the owner of Altoque Peruvian Kitchen. She had worked at a Mexican restaurant with him, and he had started this business. And it's called Altoque Peruvian Kitchen. Oh, okay, nice. So after they came in... um, they had a bit of a following, so we recognized immediately that sometimes we would have a group of four sitting at a table enjoying their Altoque Peruvian food, but they weren't drinking any beer. Okay. 
they were hypersensitive to that as well. And one of the first things they asked me is, could we make a uh, Peruvian lager or a lager that would be similar to the ones that uh, they serve in Peru? So one night they brought in a couple of uh, beers and we sampled those beers and tried to come up with the recipe that would be as uh, close as we could to a Peruvian lager and the ones that we sampled. So uh, that was where this beer was actually born. Uh, we, I, I had done a bunch of research on the Peruvian beers, uh, actually on chicha, how they make chicha. And, uh, Did you and spit in my beer, buddy? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I didn't spit in this one, okay. no. Okay. Um, <laughs> but right. uh, I considered it. Okay, all right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, uh, we decided we were going to try to make something similar to, like, Cusqueña is one of the Peruvian beers. And uh, just really keep try to keep it a, l- a little bit of that corn sweetness. So we had uh, it's got about thirty percent flaked maize in it. Um, it actually dried out a decent amount, so this beer does dry out a lot, but it still to me it retains a lot of that corn sweetness to it as well. We did use a little bit of the um, purple corn. Uh, it didn't color it up because we didn't use too much of it, but they use a lot of purple corn in a lot of their dishes. So we put a little bit of purple corn in there and just a little bit of unrefined brown sugar, which um, they use as well. So uh, we just wanted something that was going to be nice and clean and crisp. And uh, Look at that color and just that clarity. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. What's yeah, the ABV on this? That is 5.5. Oh, see? Perfect. And it, and it is sweet and it is corn and I know I know polenta isn't Peruvian. I mean maybe I do, I don't know. But it it it's almost like that. I don't dude, I don't even know if polenta has fucking corn in it. But that's what it reminds me of. It's that it's that sweet not savory but just complex. And I just had polenta the other night and that's why I'm like thinking about it. I know there's cheese in it maybe. Actually, I only know the word polenta and I know what it is. I don't even know what it's in it. It but just sounds cool when you say polenta. It, it does, right? But I feel like th- this is what I'm I'm picturing in my mind just because of that round, um, deep sweetness. Yeah, yeah, it does for for a very light, clean beer. It does. It does like it 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 pops through the middle of the mouth and, yeah. and the middle of the tongue. That's heavy, dude. That is a crazy, and it's spicy at the end. It's like complex spicy again, sort of like the hef, sort of like a saison where there is a lot of of fermentation esters poking through at the end, but you get that ingredient, and then you get the, the yeast at the end. It's very crazy. It's a crazy beer. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, this, this is another one that has really instantly become a bestseller at the, at the brewery, and even some of our accounts, like some of our accounts are going through a keg in a couple of days, so it's wow. just like, it's hard. It's it's a great thing to say, but it's hard to keep up with this beer. So um, it's really been enjoyable, especially since it was the first time we just created a recipe, and it's it's been a hit. So we're we're digging on it. How do you source the corn? We actually just have flaked maize. So flaked maize is um, one of the. I I'm pretty sure we're using. Uh, oh, geez, I think it's raw. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly which one it is, but um, no, it's not raw. I forget what I forget what the source on it is, but it's just flaked maize, and um, we're not putting it through the, the mill or anything, so it's all ready to go. And yeah, I, I took my time with the very first batch, and I actually tried to replicate some of the again 
with the homebrew community sharing. It was Bierstadt Lager House. Uh, Ashley had done a talk for one of our uh, homebrew communities here. And uh, I tried to replicate some of the very, very, very slow brew, brew days and step mashes that they do there um, to, to try to really keep this uh, as a clean, crisp lager and just get it exactly where, where they, they come through with a lot of their lagers. Uh, yeah. I have since changed that since my time is limited. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It's, it's still, it's still coming through pretty good. Yeah. Did you, you didn't, did you notice a difference or is it a difference that only you would notice, but like on the customer level, it's not that big of a, it's not that big of a difference depending on, yeah, what am I trying to say? It's not that big of a difference compared to your time to do it. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think from a traditional standpoint, and I, I was always this way with home brewing, it was time doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if I'm, I'm, I'm up at the crack of dawn and I'm going to bed at midnight. This is my step. This is what I've done. And it's gotten me to mm-hmm. where I need to be. So I was always very, very dedicated to that on the homebrew side. But yeah, when things started changing and I needed to run the tasting room or I needed to run a game night or I needed to do something here, yeah, time starts to be a little bit more valuable. Right. When there's money involved, when it's your business, when it's your livelihood, that's a different story. Yeah. 100% agree. As as far as the the change was concerned, it was very negligible and it was definitely not at a point to where it was a a big detriment to the beer itself. Everyone still really continued to enjoy it and we sell tons of this so when you can afford uh to hire an assistant brewer will you make them make this beer the step mash way will you go back to making step mash no okay (laughs) i i put my myself through hell first and then i'll determine who else needs to go through hell only the things that i'm still doing I'll, i'll make them do okay that makes sense man what about your 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 lagering time on this how do you do this or actually what yeast are you using for this beer? so it's 3470 um, uh, I have never used dry yeast. I was always a very big, uh, proponent of, uh, wet yeast and, or liquid yeast and going mostly with white labs. So I had used a lot of their, um, their Southern German or their German lager, mm-hmm. uh, on any of my beers, which I still use on some of mine. So I love white labs, but for this specific one, like I said, I had just done, uh, or listened to a talk by Ashley and, um, I said, you know what, I'm going to try this 3470 because she was very big on it. And, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stick with the 3470 and go with the Sapphire. Okay, great. And then what about your loggering times? The loggering time, I, I hope I can maintain this. I really do, but I never rushed a beer when after that first time where, you know, someone was honest with me and say, did you rush this beer? <laughs> But yeah, I stopped rushing beers and I, I'm fortunate enough right now. Uh, thankfully, a lot of it had to do with COVID that I really didn't have to rush any beers. Mm. But, um, as far as lagering times concerned, yeah, it was a full six weeks that we had uh, taken from start to finish on this beer. So it probably lagered for at least four weeks. Nice. I really appreciate that personally, as you probably know. Everyone's probably sick of hearing about it, but uh, <laughs> I think that's great. And, you know, it's funny because... <laughs> and I'm I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this but do it. It's almost like I couldn't tell with this beer. If you would have said 2 weeks or 2 and a half weeks, I probably would have been like, "Oh yeah, I could definitely taste that." 
because usually when when people rush a, a lager, it sort of has this spicy, peppery note to it that lagers shouldn't have. But with a Peruvian lager, which I've never had in my entire life, but now I want to, um, I, I I didn't know if that was just the style or not. So I, I was honestly on the fence and I was probably going to be okay with it because in my mind, in my weird, smoothed out, you know, galaxy brain, I thought, well, Peruvian lager. Okay. Well, it's not really a German thing. So, you know, lager can kind of be played fast and loose in Peru, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. I was sort of like the for, for the first time I was okay with whatever you had said for the timeline, but secretly <laughs> I was sort of also hoping that you said a longer time. And it's just weird that, that there is still those peppery notes with a with a large lager time like that. I think six weeks is pretty good. I mean, you said four probably uh, just for actual like cold storage, but that that pepper and that that sort of like spiciness that zip stays through, which is yeah. great. It's really cool. It's a cool beer, man. Yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of fun with it. The purple corn and the uh, unrefined brown sugar that probably adds a little bit to those characteristics, but. Unrefined yeah. brown sugar is that like uh, like demerara sugar? It was. It's actually like sugar that um, I'm getting off of Amazon of all places, just because it's not like something that any of the uh, commercial places had. Hmm. It was, okay. uh, it's just it's a lot of the stuff that they use in their uh, cooking. Okay. Oh, I see. All right. I wonder if it is like a demerara. I don't know. I'll look that up. That's interesting to me. Okay, and then the purple corn. Where do you, where do you get that from? That was the corn I meant. Where you like? How do you how do you source that? Yeah, so the purple corn specifically comes from them. They have their um, from the restaurant. The oh no, the Altoke Peruvian Kitchen. Yeah, that's what. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the restaurant people. So uh, they um, they have their sources for purple corn, and believe it or not, the stuff comes like whole corn on the cob. It's on the cob, so I strip it. And then I crush it, grind it down, and uh, we add it to the mash. But yeah, it's uh, it's how, it's how much how much corn are you adding? Like, what's the the, we, the weight? We were it's it's a fairly negligible amount when it mm-hmm. comes to the whole recipe. Uh, it's probably like thirty pounds, uh, and when it's it's actually really cool when you go to put it into the recipe, uh, you, you're into the mash it instantly turns the whole top purple. I like it would, it would be really fun. And I would, I'm, I'm sure I'd love to do this in the future and I may one day, but it would be really fun to do something significant, like say maybe 20 or 30% of an actual grain bill to see how it can color up because it instantly turns the top of the mash purple. Yeah, that would be cool. Like, yeah, exactly. I was, that's just what I was thinking. Like how much of this corn can you put in and still have a tasty beer? Um, yeah, purple corn. That sounds great. But I mean, look, even you said 30 pounds, that's a lot to cob, <laughs> you know, and like do yourself, man. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it, it, it's funny, the bags that they come in because they're relatively small bags. But yeah, we get back here and we have a good time with it. It's fun getting these guys to start understanding the process because uh, I think they start to respect it a lot more when they see what goes into making the beers. And then they yeah. enter and they're out front and they're interacting with a lot of their guests, which uh, a lot of the people that come in for their food are Peruvian and had never experienced craft beer. So hmm. it's kind of been like a really, a really nice thing to be able to get people involved in craft beer. Cause some of the people start with the Peruvian lager and next thing you know, they'll be drinking another one of our styles. Yeah. Are you a big Peruvian food guy? 
I was not. I didn't know that I was, actually. Okay. Um, All right. I never had Peruvian food. So when my wife came to me and said, oh, I got a Peruvian food vendor, my first thought process was like, who at a brewery is going <laughs> to Peruvian food? Right. Like, I don't even know what Peruvian food is. And it's funny because the very first dish that Randy is his name, that Randy brings to me, he says, these are things that you would eat every day. You've got mm. French fries, you've got rice, you've got beef, you've got onion. Like, so he was very hypersensitive of it. And I talked to him later and he's like, yeah, for some reason, people think maybe it's like hamsters or something like that. <laughs> well, I, I would think like some kind of weird root vegetable I've never heard of. And then like different spices and tomatoes and starches. That's what I don't know, man. It's weird. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's wild, man, because you think of food. You go, in my mind, again, smooth galaxy brain, I'm going, okay, well, open a brewery, I need food, hamburgers, you know, uh, grilled cheese sandwiches with, you know, fucking truffle oil or whatever the kids are into, like, you know, something, memes, let's just print memes out and feed memes to people, like, that's all anybody cares about. I definitely wouldn't have gone Peruvian food, because like you, I would have gone, who in the world even knows what Peruvian food is, aside from, like, the Peruvian culture that's in, like, the neighborhood, but it turns out it's sort of like a win-win for everybody. And that's cool. I, I mean, there's something to be said for like sort of just doing it, just going forward, trying something yeah. new. Yeah, it really is. I know I wanted food all the time and definitely have some type of food option. But um, after they came in and we started to see how everything was received, we've created something so unique here. It's really I think it's exceeded our expectations. Um, I know it's it's definitely we continue to hear, you know, that people come here expecting something totally different. So um, yeah, it's 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 really cool to to see everyone really receive it well. Yeah, uh, Ron in the chat says if you use all purple corn, could you get a purple lager? And I think that's what we were just sort of chatting about, Ron. Is we don't I don't think we know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It would it would definitely be something that would be fun to uh, to see what happens. I would and love to try out. It would be great to see the homebrew community take that over. Just do a purple beer, yeah, man, for sure. I mean, you could probably like fake it with you know not food coloring, but uh, aren't there like um, like food safe colorings that you can just add back? It was like ground up bugs or some shit. There's chickpea. Chickpea is okay. one of the things that uh, now a lot of the people are using to actually color up their beers. But uh, I, I'd like to see what the flavor components come forward on the on the purple corn. Yeah, absolutely, man. I feel like I can taste it. That's good stuff. I like it, man. Uh, let's crack open the next beer, huh? See, I have my dump my dump glass here. I didn't even use it for this beer. Nice. Also, didn't finish it, but uh, you know, look, I gotta work. You know what I'm trying to say? This beer, <clears throat> I don't want to open. Um, what is it called? Planet Nectaron. Yes. And it's a hazy IPA. Uh, so can we just talk about it or do I have to drink it? I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, I'm kidding, man. Of course I'll drink it. Uh, tell me about Planet Nectaron. What's the name about? Okay. Well, Nectaron hops, and this has got a great little circle backstory to the uh, homebrewing community. Uh, but Nectaron hops are a brand new hop out of New Zealand. They were previously Hort 4337. And a friend of mine on Facebook had talked about one of the rubs he had done recently, and he's been in the industry quite some time, so he said it was one of the best rubs he's ever done for some hops that came out of New Zealand, and did anyone want to pre-purchase them? 
we were brand new and I know I wanted to start experimenting more with some hops. So I went ahead and I pre-purchased a, a, a few of, of these boxes. And so when they came in, um, I knew I wanted to do something that would be relatively hazy, but also uh, I'm, a, I'm just a big IPA fan and I love hops. Yeah. So I put this recipe together and uh, took Ooh. the hops and added the hops a number of different <clears throat> a number of different ways throughout the process and kind of made it almost a one hop beer. But the second day that I took a little sample off the fermenter, the aromas and the flavors that were coming off of it still not fermented were just mind blowing. It was it was something that I hadn't really smelled in a long time. And I remember one of the first really great IPAs I had, it had that same flavor and that same aroma. So um, Nectaron is the name of the hops. And to me, it seemed out of this world and it had nothing to do with our branding five suits. We've got more of a Vegas style background. Um, I just said, I want to name it planet Nectaron. And so um, we went forward with the name and, this beer has instantly become a hit with a lot of people. It was also um, voted on by the San Diego Beer News readers as well, and it just took uh, Best Hazy in San Diego. Wow. I feel like that's taking that's like taking a Best Lager in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, th- So this beer is uh, – it is – okay. I don't like hazy beers. I've made that uh, just sort of like a hill I'm going to fucking die on, and I don't care about it. I'm willing, I'm wel- I welcome death on that hill of hazy IPAs. But it is amazing to me how the, the style has sort of evolved or, or brewers sort of push the style. And maybe it's the new hops coming out, because obviously I've never heard about this new hop. Um, but it does, it does drink differently and smell differently than other hazy beers that I've had. And I almost caught myself. I I mean, I did catch myself, but I almost verbally expressed that I would actually drink a beer like this. Good. And and that, no, it's not good. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like in a horror movie. Like maybe I, maybe I should go see what that sound is. And then, you know, (laughs) you're going to fucking die. Right. So I feel like that's the first step in me just dying, rolling down the hill of hazy beers where it's like, Oh, maybe I should, Maybe I should try this, and then you and then you come along with a mash paddle and stick it through my heart and then stake me in the you know ground. That's yes, that's what this beer could do. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want that to happen. But man, it's a crazy. That's crazy. Um, because a lot of a lot of beers like this, you know, you you smell it and you go, okay, uh, orange, mango, candied mango, candied orange, green mango, whatever those kind of things. But this is like. Like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of we talk like the Satsumas, right? Or like the, the small little cuties, mandarins, right? Yes. But this is like, <clears throat> this is such a fucking stupid analogy. I think I have something wrong mentally. But like, you know, if you ever get like a big fat fucking orange, just like a big orange with like, you can see the pores, right? It's just yes. the dimples and whatever. And you crack that open and it's like a mature smell when that, when that, when that juice sort of sprays up from the peel. That's yeah. what I get out of this. It's a, it's a, it's a mature, uh, it's a mature orange smell, which, uh, Nicole Ernie, I challenge you to come up with a better fucking, uh, phrase than <laughs> mature orange smell, uh, mature orange oil. That's what I get. I get mature orange oil smell out of this and it's, I've never smelled it before in my life. 
Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's really, really, with like maybe a little bit of guava, maybe a little passion fruit, but not like a tart passion fruit that like passion fruit, uh, I use passion fruit uh, puree and then make uh, syrups for my tiki drinks and shit like that. It's like that. It's like, it's like um, darker passion fruit, not the brighter side. So it's yeah. like darker passion fruit with like orange oil. It's wild. These are wild hops. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of passion fruit. Huge fan. Um, do you get that too? Do you get a passion fruit also? Yeah, I do get passion okay. fruit. Right. I get passion fruit when it's a a brand new batch, super fresh. I'm getting uh, a lot of peach. We get a lot of peach and stone fruit coming through on mm. it as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, the passion fruit. Um, that's a big one as well. I. I was a really big fan of uh, Green Flash. They made this one, it was like a once in a blue moon beer, but it was called Treasure Chest IPA. And it had tons of passion fruit and they used like a passion fruit tea and a passion fruit, fruit puree. But wow. this, this, this beer specifically, um, the amount of flavor and aroma that came off of it just with the hops, like has been, has been something that has completely blown us and anyone who has tasted it away. Uh, the first people that tried it were like, oh, you use mango puree, right? <laughs> right, right. This is a beer that'll do that to you. And I hate, and I don't hate beers like that, but it's weird how hops and how you layer them and how you add them to the beer can, can trick people into thinking, you know, normal people from the public, in, innocent victims, and you're tricking victims um, you did come from Vegas. I can tell um, that uh, that there's fruit in here. It's, it's that's the weird thing about beer, man. I mean, wine does it to like a certain extent, but you all you you know for a fact there's only grapes in this wine. It's only grape juice, but in beer, you never know. You got it. You got it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And this was something that you know we put a lot in the whirlpool. We used some biotransformation. So on uh, day one. We threw some in there, and I, I think we just really got the most out of this hops that we can. And, um, yeah, it's it's been well-received as well. The way you said biotransformation, it sounds like it's a product. And then I thought that would be a really funny uh, April Fool's joke for, like, BSG or something like <laughs> yeah. that. We're like, now selling biotransformation. Add this into your beer, and everything's going to be great. I think that I think we could see that post in the future because that's a really good <laughs> that's one. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> oh um, yeah. The this beer is wild and it's sort of the well, what's the, the the grain bill before I get too far ahead. Yeah, so um thankfully and I think this will help rest your uh I guess concerns about this mm. taking you to the dark side of hazies. Thankfully there's not a lot of adjuncts. Um there is uh there's no lactose. There's um a little bit of uh, wheat, a little bit of flaked wheat. We've got some Pilsner malt, uh, pale ale malt. For for the most part, this beer really is almost more of a crossover from like a super adjunct forward or super creamy mouth um, hazy to almost like a, almost just a less bitter West Coast IPA. So. Um, it's really not super, super hazy, and it's not not going to be something that's crazy turbid or crazy creamy that I guess a lot of the hazy boys will uh, expect. Yeah. yeah, it's not, and this light is is sort of, you know, look, I look great in the light. The beard doesn't necessarily look all that great, um, but you, you definitely can see through it. It's not super murky. Um, you know, I've I've had beers that aren't hazy that look worse than this. 
You know what I mean? So this is definitely on the lighter side of gravy IPAs. Um, but it does sort of taste like an old school West Coast IPA. Uh, you know, like maybe a little caramel malt I would expect in here. There is a sweeter side to it. It's not super creamy uh, or not super, you know, um, cloudy or, or, or whatever. But uh, it's uh, pillowy, right? It's not that. It's not super soft and rounded, but it is soft and rounded, but not overly so. It's not like a, a velour tracksuit. You know, it does hug your tongue, but it's not, it's not like, okay, I get it. You're showing like, it's just, it's too much. This actually, you could, you, for me, this sort of can ride the line between an old school West coast IPA with a modern twist and a hazy IPA. And I think that's a cool place to live too. I don't think you need to go super extreme with it. Like some of these people do where it's like, oh, like I saw a picture of, um, Kim Shimke posted a, a picture of like poutine and like four hazy IPAs. And I'm like, when your IPA looks the same as your gravy, I think you're doing it wrong. This doesn't yeah. look like that. And I don't, it doesn't drink like that either. And I think yeah. that, I think that's, that's a good place to exist in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. And that's what we were kind of shooting for. And who knows one day I may go down that dark road, but for now I, I enjoy this and I, 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 I want to, continue being in a place where I can brew the beer that I like to drink. So um, as far as I'm concerned, um, hitting more of these style beers where it's not going to be something that you're pouring out or you're ladling out, then uh, I'm going to be happy with it. And this is definitely one that I'm happy with. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's, it's very much like old man yells at kids to get off his lawn yet still has a lawn, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, I will accept this as a beer sort of, but not any other way, and you can't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a wild-ass beer, dude. I like that hop. What else are you going to use it in? Or is it just going to be for this recipe? No, I'm going to be, I'm going to, unfortunately, that first purchase came through 2020, and um, I went back on day two after I tried it, and I went back and got a hold of him and tried to order as much more as I could. I got some more boxes. Still wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Continued selling out, and... Um, I actually got to a point to where I started being like, I'm not going to say it, but I started really bugging a lot of the local breweries here for that. I knew that had purchased some, there were only, there were only four breweries in town out of like 160. There were only four breweries in town that got on the same purchase of the 2020 Nectaron. <clears throat> okay. So I got some from one and as much as they would give me, and then I reached out, and I had to continue pinging and reaching out and begging, and finally, like, Mimi flooded them with Godfather, like, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse <laughs> right. deals, and then I was able to get more, but I've got some more hops coming in August of the 2020, uh, 2021 uh, crop year for Nectaron hops, and those are coming straight from New Zealand, so we're kind of riding the lightning right now when it comes to what we can do with the hops. But once I get more and I've got a substantial amount, I want to start doing some West coast versions of this because I really want to get things dried out. I want to clarify everything, get everything nice and clean and crisp and then see what I can do from a tropical standpoint on a West coast. Yeah. I mean, you know, and now that it's sitting in my mouth, it sort of is like a mandarina Bavaria or like a Huel melon, like those sort of like, 
fruity characteristics, but on a darker side with like a guava and a passion fruit and stuff like that. But like, those are the parallels I'm drawing with like the new school German hops, but they're New Zealand hops. I don't know. It's, it's a wild time, man. It's a wild time to exist uh, as a brewery and as a beer drinker, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the circle around story to this, which is, is really great. And I guess it goes to show, that the home brewing side is really inspiring so much that's going on in the community is that all after this whole beer had taken place, I brewed it here. It ended up getting voted best hazy in San Diego. After all that happened, I just happened to be on my phone and I was looking back at my old pictures and I had gone back like two years. I don't know who keeps two year old pictures on their phones but i'm one of those old dudes that like carries around a photo album i guess hell yeah dude me too honestly i'm back there and i look and i remembered i had taken a picture at a homebrew event for society of barley engineers here in town and their president at the time andy had taken some wort and he had brewed like three or four different beers with the same wort but he used different hops on each one And I had loved one of those beers so much that I actually took a snapshot of the placard that he had. And on that placard, it said Hort 4337. And that's the same exact hop that this was at the time. It was a horticultural experimental hop, and it was called 4337. So two years prior, I had tasted this hop in a beer, and it struck me so much that I took a picture of it. Yeah, that's wild, man. I love it. Yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, that's cool stuff. All right, let's take a quick break, Nick, and we're going to come back. We're going to try the last beer, which I think we're going to talk about quite a bit, and um, and then we'll wrap things up. What do you think? Cool. All right. Hang on, everybody. It's the session. We'll be right back. Tuned into the session. Because life's too short to listen to crappy radio. Alright, everybody, thanks for hanging on. We are wrapping things up with five suits brewing in Vista, California. It's the session. My name's JP, and the beer I'm about to drink is called Cover Your Snout Stout. What in the world am I about to drink? I really hope there's pig snout in here. I really do. Well, Unfortunately, it's not so glorious. Damn, that sucks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, what's this beer all about, man? This is a 6.7%. Not too shabby. 6.7, yeah. We just went with like an American stout style. Okay. I actually was inspired to brew this beer by one of our local home brewers here in the Anaheim area. His name is Tien. I had had a beer that he had brewed at and for NHC. I judged it by chance. I didn't know it was his beer, but it was just a smooth, smooth stout. Came through really clean, nice and drinkable, very enjoyable stout. And I wanted to try to put something out like that, one of the beers that I had brewed. He actually had used uh, some pandan some uh, spice, Asian spice, I believe is what it was, that um, I, I didn't iterate into this recipe okay 
just kind of stuck with kind of a more more common American stout. I did add lactose into this one, so hopefully you're all right with lactose. You should have probably said that before you drink it. Right? Yeah, no, I saw it in the notes, and I was like, oh man, hopefully. I mean, it's fine. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm good with lactose, but that would be really funny if I just had instant diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. Too, too much. It's a really small portion of this, just enough to make sure that that residual sweetness comes through a little bit. But um, it did. It does have coconut and uh, a oh. very slight hint of vanilla. The coconut was really fun to play with. It was the first time I had ever tried in, in introduc- introducing coconut into a recipe and introducing it into these tanks, which was a major pain in the ass. So I wouldn't expect too many more coconut <laughs> beers out of me. No. What did, what, uh, how was it a pain in the ass? What happened? Um, it was a uh, whole unsweetened coconut flakes. So um, mm. just I, I would, if I were to do it again, I would definitely bag it. But I had thrown some in some bags, and I just wasn't getting the coconut flavor that I was looking for. So I got another 25 pounds, and I actually roasted 25 pounds of it. And since I had ran out of bags, I just decided, I'll just dump it in and let it do its thing. And hopefully it, like, proliferates <laughs> through the entire yeah. tank. Oh, were you and, rushing uh, this beer, Nick? Is that when I, <laughs> I hear? Yeah. So uh, thankfully, thankfully, and this is the good part, is that we were able to get the beer out of the tank. So coconut actually doesn't didn't, doesn't create too many issues as far as blockage is concerned. Okay. What it does create issues for is if you try to get it out of a one-and-a-half-inch opening at the bottom of the tank. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So it stacks up pretty well. So sure. uh, at the time when my brother was here working, he was uh, – reaching in as far as he could through the manhole to try and dig out as much as he could with hand scoops. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fun thing for us to deal with, no, but man. put out a pretty good amount of coconut on the beer, yep. um, which is hard to get unless you're using some type of extract. It is. Yeah, no, it is hard to get. And, and when you said you toasted the coconut, it, I, I, it made potentially a false memory, but I think of doc years ago, cause he would always do a coconut porter, I think. And uh, he would always say, like, you put as much coconut as you want, but when you think of coconut, the flavor you're really thinking of is toasted coconut, even though you don't know that. So if you want to do a coconut-flavored beer, you have to toast it, or else you're not going to get the flavor of coconut. You know, you'll get coconut essence in there, but it's not going to be the same because we're all thinking, oh, toasted coconut, that's the flavor. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was fortunate that I did that. Unfortunately, I had to do it at my house. So transporting sanitary coconut that was toasted from my house in my little oven to here was another part of that thing. But (laughs) what what the things you do for beer? That's right, man. You wouldn't be a professional brewer if you didn't do that. (laughs) You know, there's always going to be some like situation where you have to incorporate something like this, right? Like, how do I solve this problem? I got to use my house, bro, and I just we we got to figure it out. That's we got to figure it out. But yeah, this exactly. is this is a, a quite a decent amount of coconut flavor, but it's not overly coconut. Like it's very yeah. clear that it's coconut, but I think you've done a good job with the base recipe that it sort of absorbs some of the coconut flavor and doesn't really let it just dominate the beer. It's still a beer first. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we um 
didn't go overboard on the ABV on this one. This was our first stout. We wanted to put something out there that just people enjoyed. So we definitely stayed down like an, around an American stout. But, um, yeah, we had fun with it. I like this beer. I have a problem with American stouts because I have a problem with, like, roasted barley, like, roasted grains like that. So, like, instantly I'm tasting. I'm like, God, I, w- I would love to like, drop that and add, like, oatmeal, make it like an oatmeal stout. Um, but then that's not American stout. So I, I didn't want to <laughs> say that. But it is very much an American stout as far as I don't really taste a lot of American stouts. Thinking yeah. about it now, like, you don't see American stouts out there. Um, much less, you know, coconut ones with coffee and lactose. Yeah. How is how does this fare in the tap room and and, and everywhere else? So as we we don't distribute this, this beer is mainly for just the house on uh, an offering. As far as a uh, any anyone who's looking for a stout, every pretty much every person who tries it when they say they like stouts really enjoys it. Uh, yeah. But I'm with you. I I don't like the roasted barley thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, we've got a we've got a beer that'll be coming out uh, probably mid August. Uh, we haven't announced it yet, but it's a mid August beer that uh, we are doing in conjunction with the Homebrew series uh, with San Diego Beer News, uh, sponsored by Ballast Point. So uh, that was with some homebrewers here, and it is going to be a nine and a half percent uh chocolate stout so it's wow yeah it's it'll it'll be a very big one and, and you would be pleased to know that it has no roasted barley so it's pretty much all pale chocolate chocolate oh, rock yes yes wow chocolate right yes pale chocolate is is my spirit grain i love that it's just the best grain ever yeah it was a lot of it it was a lot of it and the first flavors we got out of it was just like chocolate overload so yeah with it we might put a couple uh a couple barrels through and and do some bourbon bourbon barrel aged as well oh yeah that'd be wild man yeah that'd be crazy uh how did you add the coffee to this so the coffee was only through the grains there was actually no added coffee so the all the coffee flavor that came through was just from the grain bill which was pretty impressive because it tastes there's no coffee bean at all nothing how did you do that? Because you, I'm a coffee guy. I love coffee. Uh, I'm, I think I'm an expert at many things, and I'm not. I would, I would have bet. I would have literally bet a hundred dollars that there was coffee in this beer. Coffee being in this beer. How did yeah. you? How did you fool me? The unfoolable. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, as as I was working through the recipe with stouts in particular, I struggle with I'm, I I build all my water profiles from scratch pretty much, so I struggle a lot in trying to hit my pH levels while also uh, trying to maintain my water profile to where I want it. So my fix to it was to keep out the roasted grains as long as I could, and that meant to put together the mash early and introduce the roasted grains later in the process. So as we started the uh, sparge, that was when we started to introduce the roasted barley, um, any of the other darker malts that came through. And I think what it did is it like held back on a lot of the astringency that you might get. And it really just started to give more of that coffee flavoring that, um, that you would get from those same malts that might change if they're uh, 
steeped a lot longer. That's a crazy, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, I would have, uh, I would have never guessed that there was no coffee being in here. I'm pouring myself a little bit more. What, um, what yeast did you use on this? This was 001. So okay. kept it very American mm-hmm. with the cow. Um, another, another <clears throat> part of our help that we get from the local community is sometimes reusing yeast that we're able to help get help from. Uh, this was one that uh, Belching Beaver actually uses a, uh, they use 001 on one of their more famous beers, and a lot of people have tried it, but it's their peanut butter stout. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get a little pitch from that, and uh, it kind of blended perfectly with the beer. So Nice. It works. Uh, earlier you were saying, you know, just about your general vibe in, in the in the brewery there, that you're, you're very like, uh, you know, sort of Vegas themed or whatever. And looking at the, the, the photos that you sent over, um, it is very, it's like Vegas, like speakeasy, or like Vegas loungy, but not in like a trashy way, but you know, like, like the red, uh, you know, booths and the, you know, the draped velvet and stuff like that. Uh, I, I like the vibe in your, in your space, man. I think it's really cool. You have a giant chandelier for God's sakes. Yeah, I had to go up to Hollywood, and I was in some mansion pulling that chandelier down like three years ago before we even <laughs> had a location. I really? was up on scaffolding with a friend of mine pulling that chandelier down. My my wife hand, hand-cleaned every single crystal on that chandelier. God. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was, it, this, this process has been going on for quite some time. Okay. And we, my wife and I, were, we lived in Vegas for a period of time. We've always loved the nightlife. We've always loved. She was a showgirl, actually, um, in oh. Vegas. I met her. Nice. Look at you. Feather headdress. That's and the- like, you're literally living the dream. I feel like everybody who goes to Vegas, that's, the, that's, that's what they, they either want to, either want to hit the jackpot or take home a Vegas showgirl. That's like yeah. the classic oh. Vegas thing, right? And did you do both? Did you hit the jackpot or what? That's right. Yeah. I had one jackpot, probably okay. with the Vegas showgirl. But See, yeah, there you go. Uh, both at the same time. That's cool, um, man. That's a that's that's really I like that. That's neat. Thank you. Yeah. So we've got some some uh, some stuff hanging out throughout the brewery that a lot of our friends had donated to us. Um, the The curtains that we hang around here are actually were repurposed. They were taken out of the Sahara and the sands from back in the fifties oh. and sixties. Wow! So, I mean, literally, the Rat Pack could have played in front of the same curtains that are adorning our uh, tasting room. That they're the ones right behind me, actually. Wow! Definitely, their uh, cigarette smoke probably did. It's it, it was a nightmare getting those things no, to smoke decent. But I hung them from my two-story balcony, two-story balcony at my house during COVID, okay. and was back there with the power washer cleaning them all off. And yeah, it was yellow gunk coming oh, out the bottom. But uh, they don't disgusting. smell that way anymore, thankfully. The brewery yeah. smells pretty good. Okay, uh, good. But yeah, we just had fun with it, and we wanted to put out some type of uh, nightclub vibe from like back in the fifties and sixties. You yeah. know, just the Rat Pack era something fun for people to come and hang out. And the most important thing for us was for people to feel relaxed and comfortable, a place where they could lounge. So okay. we see a lot of people coming in and uh, they'll sit and hang out for quite some time. So we, we think we've kind of hit that mark. I think so too, man. Uh, you know, the, the, the photos that I see are very stylized. It looks very cool and uh, it, it looks very comfortable. It does look like, you know, a secondary, like a Vegas sort of showroom, you know? I like it. I think you have a, a very comfortable space there. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was hard to do. Hard to do when you've got a, a literal warehouse and uh, you're trying to make it not feel like a garage. Isn't that always the way, man? I feel like, you know, that's just another thing. Honestly, I think that's that, that sort of gets overlooked in the craft beer industry because, I don't know, what do you think the percentage is are of craft breweries in light industrial warehousing? 40%? I don't know. You know what I mean? There's got to be quite a bit. And nobody really ever talks about the lengths that people go to make that space not look like a light industrial warehouse with a fake wall in between the brewery and the tap room. You know what I mean? Like you got, you put up clearly a ton of effort and you've been thinking about it for numerous years. And there's a lot of spaces that, that don't do that. And there's a lot that really do. And it's, you can really do a lot with just a fucking rectangle of a, of a building. And I think you did a good job. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that was exactly how you're looking at it. You know, we get the the blueprint plans and we start looking at it and we've got a rectangle to deal with. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's more important now than it than, than it has ever been. It, I don't I think it was an afterthought when breweries first came out. It was we're a brewery and you're going to be stoked to come hang out where we make the beer. And that's transition now. And you actually have to give people a uh, an environment where they're going to have an experience in. They're going to leave thinking they want to come back and. Who, who they want to bring back. So yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. It, it's, it's not just about, it, it's almost like the draw isn't just beer and how it's made. Everybody knows how it's made. And sure. There are people who come in there, they ooh and ah about, Oh, that's the mash ton. I get it now, but it's the experience. And you, we've sort of evolved beyond that as craft beer drinkers where, everybody's sort of coming into craft beer, maybe knowing about it, maybe the, I always struggle with this and it's an interesting topic to sort of talk about is the amount of knowledge that's been disseminated across the beer drinking industry. I think we've done a very good job and not just, you know, on the brewing network, of course, but we as an industry and whole as a whole in giving out clear information is teaching people how beer is made, taking the stigma out of it or taking the, the mystery out of it, I guess, explaining it. So now people go, they come to your place, they know how beer is made for the most part. I'm guessing, you'll probably tell me if I'm wrong, but it's more about what environment is better for me to chill and what vibe is better and what beer is better. And that's really that's really it. It's not, like you said, it's not enough just to go, I'm sitting next to a fermenter. That's cool. But in your spot, I'm in a red, you know, a, a red, uh, uh, you know, uh, upholstered booth with a little candle in the in the middle. And I'm I'm ready for a, 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 an Elvis impersonator to come on. I think that's it. I think that's infinitely cooler. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, the more the more boxes that you can check as you're developing your business, your brand, uh, the better suited that you're going to be to weather storms. And I mean, Jesus, we just weathered the most ridiculous of storms. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, you. you Everything, everything is continuously in a state of transition, and if, if anyone out there is looking to get into the brewing industry, you need to start paying close attention to a lot of the brands that are coming out because it's no longer simply setting up tanks and, and shining them up. It's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of hard work, man, and the beer sometimes doesn't even speak for itself, I think. I think, I think you're, you, and, well, I don't know. Again, I don't know anything about anything, but it seems like the beer industry is very multifaceted. 
So you can have great beer, but a shitty place and no one will show up or some people will show up, but you need to have, it's that balance. It's striking that balance because as we know, especially now tap rooms are where the money is at. So if you have a good tap room, a comfortable place, your beer, I'm not going to say your beer can be shitty, but I don't think you need to really be hitting it out of the park every time people will still show up. And I'm not saying that about you in particular, no way. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying just about in general. Um, but if you have the best of both worlds, you're going to get people coming back more often. And that's, I think that's, it seems like that's where you're at. That's exactly the point that I was trying to make. Yeah. My, I mean, uh, if you ask my wife and my mom, my beer is the absolute best beer that there is. Those are the best two people to have comment, man. I mean, that's what all that matters. That's right. Yeah. And I, I feel confident in the beer that I'm making, but again, the more that you put out there, the 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 better your chances are going to be for success. So, um, yeah, we wanted to have just a fun place with great beer. Uh, just so happens that the food that came through really helps out. Uh, but we, I think we really geek out when it comes to someone coming in off the street. Their expectations were extremely low because they had to find us. I mean, we're a C location. We, you know, you had to make seven or eight turns off of main roads in order to find us. Okay. Then when you do find us, we're tucked back in some industrial park. You're parking a little bit further away because we have some God awful tent in the front that has seating out front that the California state required us to have. And then you stumble your way in. And then all of a sudden you see uh, a lot more inside than you were anticipating. And we continue to get people who are really excited about that. And, I think if more people and more breweries out there started to pay closer attention to that, even people who might be struggling right now, spend a little bit more on your infrastructure, spend a little bit more on your guest experience and start to recognize some of those things. And, you know, people might start to come back a lot more just because of the experience that you're giving them. Absolutely. I mean, look, don't feel too bad where we are. Have you ever visited the brewery? No. That place is a pain in the ass to get to. It's literally, it's tucked away in some, it just like... It's the largest industrial area park I've ever seen, <laughs> and it's it's impossible to get to. I mean, this was 10 years ago or whatever, so it's probably changed by now. They probably have, you know, a fucking billboard on the top of their building. But it's, uh, yeah, it was it was hard to get to. It was like, And it's one of those places where you pull up and you go, am I in the right spot? Yes, because there's a lot of doughy homebrewer-looking guys that are waiting in line to get in. Okay, now I know where we are. Now I feel at home or like monkish, you know, with the same, like when we pulled up there, it's like, I could either get my, my front windshield replaced or I could be getting a beer. I don't really know. <laughs> we're going to go in and we're going to find out. Yep. And so it's like, that is sort of the cool part of a beer too. It is sort of like bootstrappy, which I know is like sort of a, you know, an ironic term. Cause you can't actually pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's sort of a joke, but it is sort of like a, like a punk rock sort of fighting, lifestyle right you 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 go where you can and you make the best of it and people are going to show up and i think that's what you've done man thank you five suits brewing nick thanks very much man i appreciate it how can people learn more about your brewery so you can go to five suits brewing the uh easy five suits brewing five suits.com that's our website uh instagram is five suits brewing uh facebook is five suits brewing but we post everything on Instagram and Facebook. We're yeah. heavily into Instagram and Facebook. We don't do the Twitter thing very much. We just uh, 
never got into it. Instagram is the best is the best platform for a brewery. It, Twitter, no one. It's just that's not it. Visual. That's what you got to do. I think it's that's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're always sharing stuff on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram account's very active, so you'll get a post from us at least every day, and uh, we'll share everything we can with what's going on. We've got a lot of events going on at the brewery, so. I guarantee you, if you're ever in town, you're going to have a good time when you do cruise out to uh, Five Suits. Hell yeah, dude. It sounds like it. it. sounds like it. I'm going to pull you up on Instagram right now, dude, because you're posting every day. I think that's cool. I like that uh, you know you, you can sort of get behind the scenes of what's going on at a brewery. You know? And I think that's, uh, I think that's important. It's, it's personality. And looking at your, your, your Instagram, is a lot of your personality comes through. So I think that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all family run owner operated. So it's literally me, my wife, my mom, all running things. You'll find us brewing the beer and you'll find us serving the beer. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Not only just for listening to the show, but for sending beer in and, uh, and, and transitioning into a craft brewer so you can be on the show. And, uh, I just made that sound like you did this just to be on our show, which is cool. I think it's pretty good. (laughs) Now that I've done it, I'm going to leave tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to close close the doors, and that's it. Uh, yeah, thanks for sending in beers, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you guys for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. If you want more radio like this, of course, you know where to go. We got Dr. Homebrew. We got Brew Strong coming, all this kind of fun stuff. And actually, there's a live two episodes of Dr. Homebrew being recorded on June 30th, which is uh, next week, I guess. Maybe it's a year from now. I don't really know. But June 30th, look at your calendar, figure it out. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. That'll be fun for you uh thank you very much um if you want to catch us live we're on facebook all the time we do facebook live when we record this but you can also hit the pod as well anyways until next time everybody thanks a lot for tuning in and we'll see you later